Welcome everyone to the first show. <laughs> this is the Welcome. first one. It is 1.0, and we are uh, ringing in part two of 2020 with a new podcast that should hopefully bring a new perspective of fun to this uh, most excellent hobby of ours. If you're in the chat room, welcome. Uh, say hi and feel free to comment through the show. We'll try to watch and respond. And if you're not listening live, thank you for tuning in. <laughs> uh, so for the last month or so, we have been teasing <laughs> the name of this uh, podcast. Uh, I've been posting some teaser photos highlighting uh, some challenge caches that I've been working on. And some people have even guessed right about the new show. Well done to Craig, the Aussie geocacher. See my shell. <laughs> not that it was really that hard. Uh, Gary uh, did a little better this time, not dropping too many uh, really blatant spoilers. <laughs> um, so we are... The two hosts for Challenge Talk, myself, and next to me, uh, that direction over there virtually, is Emily Renee. And so let's introduce ourselves. Emily. Hi. Yes, hi. So I'm Emily Renee, or Emily, and I am from the Oregon coast. Um, I love challenges. That's why I'm here. I have completed a lot of the major challenges, Jasmine, Double Fizzy, um, filling in my calendar, alphanumeric, dates placed, basically any challenge that's um, out there, it's given me a motivation to cash in a certain way. Um, for the past few years, I've been really focused on geographic challenges, specifically finding and cash in all 50 states. I finished that two years ago. Um, I have my eyes set on Canada and all the provinces, um, but you know, there's a lot of travel that cannot happen right now. So for now, I'm gonna try to keep it local. I actually don't have all of Oregon finished. I need to finish the Oregon Delorme. I have 12 pages to go and I need to visit 11 Oregon counties all in the Northeast. So hopefully that will happen in August. Cool. That that was a whole lot of information for people who have no idea what challenge caches are. True, very <laughs> true. We're just, we're just blasting it out right now to get it out there, and we will be coming back to cover a whole lot of those buzz buzzwords and terms. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, because challenge caching is kind of a kind of an advanced aspect to geocaching. So we're going to try to start from the very beginning from show 1.0 for people who have never heard of these or tried them or ignored them because they have no idea what to do with them. Right, right. <laughs> so for myself, um, yeah, the challenge caches, I love challenge caches. I've been doing them for uh, quite a number of years now. And the challenge caching actually was the beginning of my own channel, Cache the Line. Um, yeah, I was doing a 366-day consecutive challenge and it was through that challenge that the theme of cash the line or at that point chasing the iron man which became cash the line um was uh birthed <laughs> um yeah the vast majority of my caching is determined by whatever i'm currently uh trying to complete in challenges uh lots so many challenge caching goals and um it adds so much motivation and direction um to where you want to go, the sorts of caches that you want to try to find, uh, the experiences, the places, the people, all that stuff. Like it, it, it kind of funnels your 
um, or my uh, my activities in geocaching. Um, there's uh, a satisfaction of achieving those goals uh, in that geocaching context. Um, they're kind of like accomplishments. So right. uh, you can either go geocaching casually and just find stuff, but now we've got statistics. And as soon as you got statistics, people will be analyzing them and watching and tracking and all that. So yeah, I've often said that statistics are my favorite part of geocaching. <laughs> yeah. I'm going finding them, but I want to come home and run my stats and see what has changed <laughs> and what I still need to do. Yeah. It's, it's just like in video games when you've got uh, accomplishments and, and uh, badges and achievements. Mm -hmm. If you know that they're there, you just, you got to try to accomplish them. You got to try to win them. So um, yeah, with all of these challenge caches now out there, there's just so many goals to try to complete just because they're there because you want to that's right uh, my current my current goal is to find in the year 2020 2020 caches and uh that's it's hard in a lot of places but ontario where i live is is jam-packed with geocaches and power trails and just, not where I live, not on the coast. I've <laughs> cached out and you can't cache to the west. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and, and already so far, halfway through the year, I think I'm pretty pretty much three quarters of the way done. There have been quite a number of power trail days with tons of caches. Um and and this year I'm inching if I do get 2020 in this year, I'll also cross the fifteen thousand fine milestones. So that's another another goal that will be awesome. uh that will hopefully happen very soon actually <laughs> so one of the things that we'd like to do for the for each of the shows is to just go over a very brief rundown of the challenge caching statistics in the geocaching community um, there's a website called project gc and if you have been around for a long time you know that they've come in recently uh, but they are pretty much the go-to website now for uh, statistical analysis any existing challenge caches have to have a checker from Project GC. And so they pretty much have the entire uh, challenge caching world in their system. So they share some interesting statistics. So first off, we've got uh, active scripts. Uh, so currently active scripts as of this afternoon is 4,836 scripts. We can go over what scripts are later on, but the next statistic, unique challenges, uh, there are 32,196. This is worldwide. Um, and active tags, this is the important one. There's 38,530 as of this afternoon. That's a whole lot of challenges. <laughs> the um, I think we may have lost Emily for a second. She'll come back. But uh, the other thing with Ontario having so many challenges we've got power trails of challenges and it is uh it's kind of ridiculous <laughs> we've got some cash owners who not only own many many caches they also uh have ridiculously high statistics and so there are challenge trails of extremely difficult uh caches in Ontario and so for Ontario stats we've got 12 1210 at least by a public search using the advanced search, we've got 1,210 active challenge caches in Ontario and uh, 28,942 active challenge caches worldwide. 
So that's, that's what you do. <laughs> the 29,000 worldwide challenge caches. That means that, yeah, you can, you can go searching for that and you don't have to have caches near you to check out the challenges. Um, you can, you can like set a personal goal for a challenge halfway across the world and, and still work on them. Yeah. I look for challenges wherever I'm going to go when I know I'm going to go. And then if there's something I need to work on before I get there, I can do that. And then that's just one more challenge I can complete, even mm. if I do have to wait to complete it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you can, you can pre-prepare for, <laughs> for finding and signing yeah. the cash by yeah. qualifying along or, or a long time. A lo qualifying very early. That's it. <laughs> um, okay. So let's start at the very beginning. What is a challenge cache? I think most people kind of can grasp the concept and we've kind of already mentioned what, uh, what they're based on. Um, they are, they are fundamentally physical geocaches. And so there, if you know, we've got uh, traditional caches, multi and uh, unknown caches, they're all physical where the only goal is to go out, find the cache and sign the log. The challenge cache is like one of those. It's a physical cache, but there's an additional logging requirement where you have to statistically qualify for a challenge that the cache owner has put forward. Um, once you qualify and you have found and signed the log, then you can log the cache as found. That is the very basic definition of the challenge cache. Mm -hmm. um, if you know, if you found any uh, virtuals or earth caches, I like to say they're, they're kind of like those where, uh, you know, with an earth cache, you, you qualify for logging an earth cache as found once you have sent in the answers to a number of questions to the cache owner. Similarly, for a challenge cache, you qualify for logging it as found once you have qualified and signed the log sheet. So it's it's kind of like that in a sense. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So that is what we call the ALR or additional logging requirement. Uh, it's kind of a <laughs> kind of a controversial term because, uh, well, let's go down memory lane. Let's start from the very beginning when geocaching was just in its birth and it was a simpler life, a simpler time um, when people would just hide physical containers out in the wild. You'd go out, find it and sign the cache. Um, a lot of cache owners used to uh, put a little twist on the physical cache that they own. So when they hid the final, when they hid uh, a cache, they might have added a puzzle or um, required you to have found, say, a hundred caches before you can actually learn the location, the actual location of the physical cache. So at that point, um, they would have created a listing, and the location, the posted coordinates of that cache, weren't the actual location of the physical container right so they would require in the in the description they would say once you have either say solved the puzzle and contacted me or um qualified statistically and contacted me then i will send you the coordinates for the actual cache location the container location and 
so at that point, I mean, it was it was fairly new. Nobody had really uh, um, they hadn't really incorporated that type of experience into the into the system yet. So yeah, people experimenting with geocaching, which has yeah, made exactly. it great over time, All right? Yeah, pushing the limits and trying new things. And I guess love it or hate it. <laughs> Generally speaking, they were loved, and uh, so they became known as an additional logging requirement because you wouldn't even be able to find the cache until you qualified. But it was all manually done. Um, so, uh, yeah, so at that point, you'd have the posted coordinates. You'd get the final coordinates from the cache owner once you once they determined that you qualify to find the cache. Um, shortly after that the uh, geocaching headquarters decided to put ALRs into the guideline and help define them for people. Um, they then required cache owners to disclaim the ca in, in the cache listing that there is an ALR and they were required to list them as an unknown cache or as a mystery cache. So in those cases, that would help distinguish between a traditional cache where the physical container is at the posted coordinates and this new cache type, the unknown or mystery, where the container was not at posted coordinates. Right. Know if your job is done or not when you right. found a physical cache. Yeah. And so that, that cache type kind of became a, a um, in a sense, a catch-all for uh, experiences where you had to do something else in order to learn the location of the physical container. Uh, so whether it's solving a puzzle or doing this ALR, that sort of thing. At that point, cache owners were allowed to delete the logs of people who uh, didn't qualify, who did, who they feel didn't uh, didn't complete all the necessary requirements. And obviously, that <laughs> throws a, it brings a whole lot of controversy into the finding and and signing of geocaches. Um, so at least with this first guideline, people would be prepared and they'd know if they're going to find this cache, there's nothing at the post of coordinates and they might have to do something else in order to, to sign the cache, to sign the log and log it as found. Um, so the first, <laughs> I was I was kind of curious to figure out what the first challenge cache published was. If you think you have an idea or you may have looked this up before in chat, then comment. Um, but I mean, the biggest question is how would you define a challenge cache? Cause at that time, a challenge cache quote didn't exist, just the ALRs. So is the ALR the challenge cache is solving a puzzle, the challenge to find the cat. I mean, it was a, a question. I don't, I don't think there is necessarily a, a first challenge cache, um, I know we've got different styles of challenges, different uh, concepts and ideas, and there are firsts for those. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. If if you are uh, listening, then see if you can figure out what you think might be uh, the first challenge cache ever published. <laughs> what, what could take that title? <laughs> so going on to some of the most popular types and concepts for challenges. Um, when when they started to really take shape, uh, some people began to um, popularize certain ideas. So I think one of the first um, most popular challenge cache ideas was the Delorme challenge. 
so the Delorme, there was a an atlas that was published in the United States for all of the was it states or counties? I think it was certain state. states, all fifty states. Yeah, and so in in those in that atlas, each of those uh, chapters or pages would um, block off all the states, and you would have to find a cache in each. So using this atlas, you would have to find a, find a cache in each block of coordinates within each of the states. So a DeLorme challenge for a specific state would require you, again, to fill out that grid of uh, cache locations within that entire state. And so that DeLorme right. challenge was published for all 50 states. And it was hugely popular. And this was before I started. This was long before. Like, did you ever uh, try working? Yeah, you said in your intro. Yeah, you working on working. Oregon. I used to live in Pennsylvania, and I didn't really actively work on it. The stat was there. I was intrigued. And then since I've lived in Oregon, it's been a desire. We have um, 88 pages, uh, technically 89 because 88 is split in two. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't have it in front of me, but, um, so it's, it's been a focus since moving to a new state, knowing I'm here, I want to finish this. I want to mm -hmm. see my new home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like it, that definitely got people out and exploring and traveling. I mean, this is before, uh, before County boundaries were around. So now we've got counties, but back then we just had coordinate numbers. And so this atlas kind of helped people uh, visualize their state. And um, I guess it was it's just people with numbers. <laughs> you see the numbers and you got to have statistics. So now we've got blocks. And well, if you can find a cache in each of those little grid blocks, then you can qualify to log that particular DeLorme challenge as right. final. Right. Yeah. And I was always impressed with the programs that ran the stats and, and put in the data of each DeLorme Atlas so yeah. that um, those DeLorme stats could be generated. Yeah. It, it's not it's not as easy as counties. You know, it's mm -hmm. those pages cover just whatever a blown up section of a part of the state is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it was all paper. Like, I don't think there was a digital version, at least to start. And right. so you, you basically had the atlas or printouts and copies of the pages, and you were trying to uh, figure out, determine where the caches that you that could yeah, qualify. Yeah, and I, I've spilled over the atlas sometimes trying to, you know, is, is this one right on the line? Which page is this <laughs> going to be on? <laughs> I even emailed owners, do you know what page your cache is on? <laughs> I was, the one time I did that, it wasn't, they didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully now we've got lots of ways to make that so much easier. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, the first DeLorme challenge was published on January 1st of 2004. And that was GCHANH. And that was an example of a cache where the final was not known until, uh, until proof of qualification was sent. Yep, just find our way. Yep, you just got the uh, <laughs> the very first alarm challenge. Um, so yeah, you'd have to show evidence that you had found a cache in that uh, or completed that alarm challenge, and then the owner would send the location of the cache. And reviewers didn't have that information either. Like at that point, there wasn't that level of um, verification of the, all the cache details. So cache owner could just publish and say, "Yep, it's not here." Only I know where the cache is, and you've got to qualify so I can tell you where it is. 
it was a different time. <laughs> the first, so another, another uh, very common challenge cash idea is the fizzy challenge. And the very first fizzy challenge was published in 2007, April 6th. And that is GC 11E8N. Uh, that is the, uh, let me get this up here. That was the well-rounded Casher Fizzy Challenge. That's the California Fizzy, everybody likes to call it. <laughs> and didn't that name come from the name of the Casher who put out the challenge? So what happened was um, the Fizzy Magic is the person who, uh, I can't remember the exact details, uh, but it was named for Fizzy Magic, which is why it's the Fizzy Challenge. And um, the cash owner, at least currently, is Kealia, uh, K-E-A-L-I-A. <laughs> but uh, at this point, there was, there you were also permitted as part of the parameters for qualification to have a date restriction. So a lot of these challenges that first came out said um, in order to make it an actual challenge rather than a lifetime accomplishment, you can only use caches that were published before this cache, before this challenge cache, and you can only use caches that you found after this cache was published. So in a way, it was to make sure that everybody was kind of on the same boat. You wouldn't have people with 10,000 fines who already qualify because they would have had to start from scratch from the moment that challenge cache was published. So that's kind of a double-edged sword. <laughs> it's, it's like it's fair for people who, have, um, who don't have a lot of fines or who haven't cleared out their area, but it's not so fair for people who have cleared out their area who, or who have already qualified um, or may not now anymore have caches that can qualify to find. Right. So for the longest time, the, that date restriction uh, option was allowed. And so this first fizzy is one of those as an example. Being published on April 6, 2007, you had to find a complete fizzy grid. So all of the DT, uh, all of the DT ratings with caches that were published before April 6th and found after April 6th, 2005, or 2007. And um, yeah, I think what it was, was Fizzy Magic was the person to write the uh, statistics program to do the analysis. And so the Fizzy Challenge was basically named after him. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. Yeah, because that's um, a really confusing title for someone who doesn't know why. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not like literally fizzy. <laughs> <laughs> Although you could take a fizzy drink if you wanted to. Um, but uh, yeah, just double checking the parameters and it's in there somewhere. Uh, so that, that became a very popular uh, challenge. At that time, obviously, there were not nearly as many geocaches. So it was much more difficult to qualify. You had to do a lot more traveling um, and... Uh, but it was popular and it started to spread around the world. And Canada's first was published uh, just about a year later on April 8th, 2008. And that one is GC11PZ, 
Z P Z Z. I'm Canadian. I gotta say Z. I say Z all the time. It's all right. <laughs> GC11 P Z W, and that one was my my first challenge that uh, that I had ever completed. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. That yeah. That's the uh, Tequila 81, 81 proof challenge, and uh, similar to the California Fizzy, uh, this one had the date restrictions. They pretty much, uh, Tequila, the cash owner, pretty much copied the uh, California Fizzy um, listing for this one. Mm-hmm. And, oh, man, this was such an adventure. <laughs> the there, There's one aspect to finding challenges where if you're just starting out geocaching, you want to look at the challenges and try to qualify as fast as possible, knowing what you're finding because you might run out of qualifiers. So within my first year, I had... Uh, started to work on this particular uh, fizzy challenge and uh, i just remember the, the the qualifying caches for these date restricted challenges are few and far between because the other problem or the i wouldn't say it a problem but the other uh concern with trying to qualify for these is that the longer you wait the harder it is to qualify because with the date restriction you cannot um, caches get archived. So new caches that pop up, you won't qualify for the challenge. So you've got to try to find these old caches before they get archived. And as time goes on, they start to drop off the map. And uh, so these old initial fizzy challenges are not are getting harder and harder to qualify for, which is why it's good to start out early and make sure if you have the opportunity to find some of these old DTs, get them now <laughs> um the the california fizzy is the oldest and it is the hardest and uh i you know what that would have been a good stat to look up um what dt is the hardest to find now for that's, california that's a good thought to look into yeah because i'm pretty sure that at least a couple of the DTs are now, they might have maybe three or four caches worldwide that would qualify. Um, it's kind of like qualifying for this next <laughs> very popular challenge cache, the Jasmer challenge, um, which is very similar to the DT challenge, uh, but you're actually trying to find a geocache that was published in every month since geocaching began in May of 2000. So if you see Jasmer or double Jasmer or triple Jasmer, it just means that you're looking to fill a grid of every year and every month having a cache found that was published in that particular month. Mm-hmm. And um, so the Jasmer challenge, the first one was published in 2008, December 19th. And that one is GC1. GBC1, GC1, GBC1. That was the first Jasmer challenge that was published. And those, just like the California Fizzy, are getting harder and harder to qualify because, again, those old caches start to Once drop they're gone, off. They're gone. Yeah. Yep. And right now, the, uh, oh, which one was it? I think it was August. 2001 i think that's the or 2000 is the hardest month to get because there are only 
Yeah, 2000. There are only three caches worldwide that are still active that were published in that month. So if you're going on vacation, <laughs> plan a vacation at one of these countries to find each of these. So if you start geocaching now, the, the biggest Jasmer um, qualification you'll be able to get would be the triple Jasmer, which means finding three geocaches in every month since published in every month since geocaching began. Um, if you were lucky to be lucky enough to be around years ago when there were more, then you might have a possibility of getting a fourth, fifth, sixth Jasmer. But uh, for active caches, triple is as high as we're going to go now. Um, and yeah, ever since then, these challenges have grown and evolved. Um, people started adding in other other parameters, like within doing fizzies within a certain country or within certain states or provinces. Uh, I mean, we've got, what was the count? Three million active geocaches now worldwide. A lot more than there were in 2007. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so it should be a lot easier to qualify for your first fizzy challenge or your first Jasmine challenge. Um, or if you really wanted to, go for the Delorme because I think a lot of those Delorme challenges are still active and out there. Um, I believe there are even checkers for them now if the owners have added them, so it should be a lot easier to determine if you qualify. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, these, these are the ones that pretty much started it all, all of the challenge. Um, Hullabaloo. <laughs> uh, so moving on to now July of 2009, the ALR is officially disallowed for physical caches, excepting for challenge caches. So I, I think it was pretty much a given that uh, ALRs were something that people didn't like, and it caused a whole lot of controversy when cache owners would delete your log and you had no yeah. idea why or you feel that you did what was necessary, but the owner didn't. And so um, the uh, HQ's appeals would get loads and loads of um, complaints and issues and, and arguments between geocachers, and they had to arbitrate all of these uh, conflicts. So they decided in July 2009 to officially say, state, you cannot have any additional logging requirements beyond what's required for the specific cache type and made the exception for challenge caches. And at that point, determining a valid challenge was all up to the reviewer. <laughs> like you would, you would be able to come up with an idea and then set it off for publish and the reviewer, the reviewer would have to look at it and kind of judge for themselves whether it was a reasonable or feasible uh, challenge to put out to the public. Um, but at least that, uh, that kind of streamlined all of the other major physical cache types, uh, traditional caches that posted, uh, multi you'd have physical, uh, waypoints, potentially virtual if you did a projection, but there was something that you had to do at each of the waypoints to get to the final cache location. Mystery, nothing necessarily at posted coordinates, um, usually a puzzle or some other task you had to do in order to determine the lo location of the final. And cache owners also were then required to include the final location with the listings um, for a number of reasons. But uh, 
um, that that helped make the unknown cash um, more of that catch-all so that if there were things like uh, field puzzles, then that's the cash type that would take it. And of course, challenge caches. Because for the most part, challenge caches were physical containers at the posted coordinates, but you wouldn't be able to log it as found until you qualify. So that's kind of, that doesn't fall under the definition of any of the other cache types. So it was relegated to the unknown mystery cache type, and that's pretty much where it's sat since. <clears throat> um, about over a year later, uh, HQ launched, officially launched, statistics. So now, on your personal profile, there was a section to view um, a fairly simple analysis of all of the properties of the caches that, caches that you had found. So everything from difficulty and terrain stars to uh, your date found grid um, to locations, all that sort of stuff. The most popular statistics. Um, before then, user profiles you you really only had the option to customize the face of your profile there was a box you could put html in and drop anything in there and that was about it there were no statistics nothing auto generated um, you would create your own html um, what happened was in that period of time uh, people would make their own sorts of accomplishments and achievements so people would create images as badges and you might go to somebody's website and they'd list off a number of qualifications in order to gain the right, as it were, to display a badge on your public profile. So in a sense, people were already doing um, goals and qualifications before statistics were even provided, before challenges really became what they were. So you would be, uh, um, say, finding a certain number of earth caches to become an earth cache master. And then you could display that image badge in your profile. And uh, when I first started, that was that was kind of that was that was there were maybe a few websites that had uh, surfaced to the top as the most popular. Um, My geocaching profile was one of them. They uh, they provided a a block of HTML that would show your statistics that you could paste into your profile. Right, that's the one that I started on, and it, and it was great. It showed me, it showed me blanks, and those blanks motivated me. Um, and then after a big week in the geocaching, I would run my stats, my finds, pocket query, and upload it into my geocaching profile and see what I've accomplished since last weekend. Yeah, so that's what I got started on. Yeah, and then they have that uh, last stats last generated on, mm -hmm. and if you looked and it was like more than a week old, it's like no, we've got to regenerate my stats, got to keep it up to date. <laughs> yes, that was me every weekend. <laughs> Same thing, yeah, because you would have to generate your my finds pocket query, download all that, and then upload that zip file to the website, and they do all that analysis and all that. Huge process, and uh, but other websites uh, were just copy paste. Nobody policed things. They just provide badges and you'd plop them into your profile and show them off. Um, but it was after that that uh, Geocaching, Grantspeak at the time, Geocaching HQ acquired, they bought my Geocaching profile and that kind of gave them the backing, the background to, um, to start internally creating the, uh, uh, generating the statistics uh, for 
auto display on your profile. And this was because it was such a new feature. It was also something that they took advantage of to uh, encourage people to become premium members. <laughs> so there were some statistics that were not available for basic users. Uh, I think I think I think statistics themselves weren't available unless you were premium. I believe mm -hmm. that was how it started out. Um, but they rolled it out, and eventually it became something that is for everybody. Uh, and then almost a year later, the geocaching challenges officially launched. And that <laughs> is kind that of a topic for another show. show. <laughs> <laughs> Geo not to get confused, geocaching challenges was kind of a, uh, a, a virtual location-based style um, challenge game that they played around with because there were a number of uh, other mobile location games that were starting up. And so geocaching challenges were uh, tasks that you had to accomplish at a certain location and you would claim it as, as completed by uploading a photo as evidence. Extremely simple, nothing physical, no, uh, no, no maintenance, no management. It was deemed as something that, that people wanted and they played around with it for a little bit. And, um, that was launched August 16th, 2011. Uh, they addressed all of the ALR stuff by allowing people to create whatever types of challenges they wanted. Uh, there was very minimal um, moderation. It was limited in size. Um, and there were looser guidelines and very little oversight. And that lasted to... Just over a year. So in March 11th of 2012, the guidelines were updated with a clause to clarify that uh, logging after signing and qualifying was allowed. So what happened was with a lot of these challenge caches, so not geocaching challenges, challenge caches, <laughs> um, people, some of the cache owners would say you can't find the cache until you qualify or prove your qualification. But people would often be in the area where a challenge cache was and want to sign in and then qualify. But sometimes the cache owner wouldn't allow that and they might delete logs. So they had to make that clarification that you are allowed to qualify and sign in any order, but to log it as found, you have to do both. Yeah. Um, so that, that was put into the guidelines in March, 2012. And <laughs> This is where the launch of my favorite personal challenge that I published, which will be the subject of another point coming up later, is the Iron Man bingo. So the last challenge that I published before this significant update to uh, challenge cash guidelines was the Iron Man bingo. And that's uh, GC, I have it on here, no, uh, GC3D5EB. That one is was published in February 29th of 2012. That was a matter of days, about a week before the guidelines update. Uh, at that point, with the guidelines updated for challenge caches, they put in clauses about um, date limiting challenges, um, such as not being allowed to 
state that a challenge requires finding after a certain date and only catches before a certain date. So they removed the date restrictions on challenges officially. And that is why Iron Man Bingo would not be allowed to be published today. <laughs> if you look at the challenge qualifications, it is a bingo grid of finding streaks of certain styles of geocaches. Uh, so daily streaks, finding, say, five caches with um, with a scuba attribute five days in a row. Well, like one scuba, one scuba cache each day for five days. And um, that streaking is also a another guideline that was inserted during that, that uh, update. So in March of 2012, challenge caches became a much more a much more tightened up uh, concept. Um, rules were set in place or guidelines were set in place that they hoped would favor the, uh, the joy of accomplishing a challenge um, regardless of how much or how little you've cashed. Uh, so it would be a positive, positive type of challenge accomplishment, statistical accomplishment. Um, and that leads to uh, December of 2012. So later on that year, the death of geocaching challenges. They just kind of swung under the radar and poof, disappeared. A lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty and uh, controversy around them. And HQ just said, let's get rid of them, not do them anymore. They disappeared from the website. Everything literally just gone. Yeah, it's like <laughs> other it's things. There's, there's a historic record, right? But no, nope, these are just gone entirely. Mm -hmm. So that might be able to cover that in another show, but we're not gonna talk about that. <laughs> uh, and then that paved the way for the launch of challenge checkers. So this is where Project GC comes into play uh, with people writing scripts to make checking your own challenges to checking checking qualifications for challenges easier um project gc was developed by uh by some people to bring in a lot of those scripts into one source uh, and make it a lot easier for people to check these challenges so they weren't required it was just a website that cash owners could use so that cash geocachers could copy the results and use that as evidence of qualification. So it made things a lot easier for people to determine their qualifications. And, uh, and that was July, 2013 when project GC challenge checkers launched the website was around, but the challenge checkers were a, uh, a widget that cash owners could copy the HTML and paste it into their, uh, into their cash listing. And then people could just go, and check automatically. And that was it for two whole years. Challenge checkers lived on. People got creative. They tried things. Um, they pushed the limits, uh, not only of the guidelines, but of what people enjoyed <laughs> and didn't enjoy. And they were around for that long, two years until April 21st, 2015, when all of the debates and controversies, the disagreements, the appeals that people had, uh, that geocachers and cache owners had taken to HQ to deal with, um, they decided to pull the plug 
and that was officially the start of a one-year moratorium on challenge caches. No more challenge caches could be published while HQ kind of rolled over the idea and, and, and um, tried to decide if this was something that geocaching was about. Do we want to keep doing this? Is this does this embody the spirit of geocaching the way that they are? Um, it there, there were so many complaints um, and it, it was kind of polarizing. Like there are people who absolutely, yeah, like people absolutely love doing them and would, would, uh, would, whether they were easy or hard, they would go out and they would love to do them, create them. But then there are people that absolutely hated them because, you know, if you go out and you find a cache, you want to log it found. Why do I have to do all this other stuff when I would just want to log it found? Um, and when people started taking the statistics, uh, based on their own accomplishments. So people who say had been caching for 15 years, 15, yeah, 15 years. <laughs> and, um, they, they, they'd create these challenges that were ridiculous for new geocachers to try to accomplish and, and complete. And so, um, with all of that stirring around the community, they put up the moratorium and took that year to analyze the whole thing and decide whether to bring them back to make changes um, and or whether to keep them around at all. And so on May 25th of 2016, they brought them back with a whole with a new set of guidelines. I wouldn't say a new set, but a, a refined set of guidelines and um a number of changes to help address a lot of the concerns that people had uh, with them, including requiring the challenge checkers. So since 2016, uh, or no, sorry, since 20, April 21st, 2015, um, the challenge checkers. So at the start of the moratorium, the challenge checkers are now required on all challenge caches. Um, the Because there was no real way to determine which caches were challenges and not, uh, they required the text challenge in the title. So now the only way, now I would say the only way, but the best way to find a challenge cache, at least post moratorium, is to search for unknown caches that have challenge in the title. It doesn't go the other way though. There could be non-challenge caches that have challenge in the title. Sure. <laughs> so it's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a perfect solution, but at least it helps you identify um, and along with that, are the official statistics and uh, Project GC uh, checker documentation, those are the only two uh, official um, evidences of qualification that a cache owner can accept. Uh, what happened was with these challenge caches, some of, some really popular ones were challenges that say had to find. Uh, a cache that started with every letter of the alphabet, a cache type from A to Z. Or you had to find certain, uh, like an animal name, uh, a certain number of caches with animal names in the title. And what they called these were bookkeeping caches because there's no easy search for them. You, you would have to uh, keep your own record of what you'd found and how many and which ones were qualified, which not. You'd have to do your own searches and analysis of caches to find all the qualifiers. It was it was a lot more busy work to try to qualify. Yeah, for it's these. Really busy work for me as a finder. I, I, I there's old caches that are still out there. So even mm -hmm. lately, I've gone through all of my finds 
<laughs> one example was to find occupations. And so then mm -hmm. I had to decide, is this occupation or is that a stretch? Mm -hmm. There's a bookmark list of those caches for this cache to qualify to find it. Yeah. And, and I, I kind of like doing those types of challenges as well because, you know, some people will enjoy that type of busy work and some people absolutely will hate it because they just want to yes. find caches. They'll so, skip right over that. They don't, they don't. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they decided to put that guideline in saying no bookkeeping geocaches, uh, uh, challenge caches, no date restrictions. Um, geocaches had to be positive. You had to, uh, your accomplishments had to be favoring your all time stats. So not, not from any particular date on or not. Um, and they couldn't, they couldn't favor basically what what we could consider a start now statistics so from this point on you have to qualify it would be your entire uh, geocaching career uh they also restricted patterns and user-defined regions so some people would say uh within this shape on the map you have to find certain caches um or certain patterns on the dt grid uh things like that and so they they kind of had to define user defined <laughs> uh, in order to put a guideline like this in. So they said nothing arbitrary, no patterns, no user defined regions. It has to be something that is explicitly defined in the statistics. So that's why now if, for location based challenges, you can do uh, continents, uh, countries and states, provinces, regions and counties or the equivalent. Um, Project GC has all the information for counties, uh, but the geocaching database itself doesn't. If you look at a geocache listing, it won't tell you the county that a cache is in, but that information is in Project GC. Therefore, Project Checker will handle it, and so it's allowed. But that's it. You can't even do things like um, finding a certain number of caches in a latitude degree because that's considered a user-defined arbitrary region based on a number of the in the coordinates so that was another very tight one um challenges can't be negative in the sense that you can't unqualify yourself uh, <laughs> like those the average average statistics mm -hmm. challenges those were like those are super painful especially if you have like ten thousand fines and you've been doing traditionals and you know easy caches but then you find a challenge cache that says you have to have 50% unknown cache types in your finds history. If you're at 10,000, that means you've got to find at least another 5,000 unknowns yeah. to get even near qualifying. <laughs> and if you already do qualify, but then you kind of lag a bit, then you could unqualify because your average could go below that. So it's more of a uh, um, accumulation of statistics. That's that's the only type of challenge that's allowed. You can't unqualify by caching normally. And uh, <clears throat> additionally, uh, provide pre-qualifying geocachers uh, plus yourself, and the challenge has to be reasonably attainable. So within any specific region, a, a reviewer would request a definition of feasibility. So if you said... I want, I want to publish this challenge. You would have to provide, depending on the size of your region and population, that sort of thing, a certain number of other geocachers who already qualify. Just to say that it's doable 
and you yourself have done it. Right. So as a cash owner, you and in, in Ontario, we have a 10 geocacher requirement. So you have to show that 10 other geocachers in Ontario plus yourself already qualify in order to show that it's reasonably attainable. Um, and that, that could change from place to place, from state, country, whatever. Uh, and that is where we are at now with challenge caches. Do you I've <laughs> progressed with Project GC. Um, that is a very positive thing coming out of that being a requirement of the checker. I had uh, I turned 40 last year and somebody hid a challenge for me and it was based on all these 40s and I guess I should have assumed that I qualified since so she hit it for me with my name in the title and stuff like that. But when I looked at the, what the requirements were, it blew my mind. I'm like, how could I possibly know that? But with a simple challenge checker, mm -hmm. it did all of that. So um, yeah. now I want to know how she reversed it. I like, I want to know the reverse engineering of it. How did she build this? Um, Cause it was impressive that those, types of stats could be run. So even though they're um, more specific, they're, it's also, I, no, what do I want to say? Even though it's more limited, it's also impressive what can be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And because it's all programming, I mean, it, depending on how well you know the language to create these scripts, you could create some really intense convoluted challenges <laughs> and that's kind of what happened before all these guidelines became so restrictive yeah and i guess that could be you know you can run the script and see if you qualify but if you don't qualify it might be hard to figure out how you what to do to qualify exactly. i was just really glad i qualified for that one and i didn't have to figure it out yeah yeah i remember some of the uh the initial challenges challenge caches it's like okay you can write a script to see if you qualify but if you don't how do you find out what caches qualify will get you to qualify? So you have to do that part yourself. And that really was the bookkeeping aspect. And like I said, some people love it. Some people hate it. I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was fun, but I'm, I'm a programmer. So that kind of mentality is already, already there. So I, I often created my own scripts to create them before project GC was around. I'd create my own scripts to um, look through all of the stats to see if I qualify. And now with GSAC, which is another complicated uh, tool that a lot of people love, um, you can do a lot of that yourself, but that's also for another show. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have already been listening to Geocache Talk, you will know that there is a book out there that is all about challenge caches, and that is called Geocaching Challenges, The Game Within the Game by none other than our own Memphis Mafia, uh, Jesse Lunford and co. And um, they have created this book to be read by whoever is interested in, in challenge caches. Um, and there's a whole lot of information and it's a great book to look up if you are more interested in it uh, passively reading. I don't think there's an audio book version of it yet. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I think Jesse said that recently. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that you can find on Amazon. Uh, just look for Geocaching Challenges, Memphis Mafia, and you can check it out there. And This is a good starter book. It's going to yeah. give you uh, not necessarily the history we talked about today, but what is a challenge? What are popular ones? Where's a place that you can get started? Plus Jesse's personal experiences accomplishing mm -hmm. those challenges. 
and yeah. some Easter eggs inside the book. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, yeah, and a lot of highlights about, uh, again, some of those uh, very common challenge types um, uh, and a number of ones that you can try for yourself in various uh, locations and whatnot. So it's a good one to check out if you are definitely more interested in challenge caches. Um, so another segment that we want to have for this show is uh, to address some uh, community questions. So if you have a question that uh, that you have about challenge caches, then you can feel free to email challengetalkpodcast at gmail.com and uh, we will see what kind of questions we can answer in upcoming shows. So make a note of that and shoot your email over to challengetalkpodcast at gmail.com for any questions, whether it's how-tos or uh, questions about how people do their challenge caching, planning, that sort of stuff, all of that. So first of all, we have, I will go over two questions kind of quickly. We're running up to our one hour, so we'll probably be a few minutes over, but it's the first show. So let's see. First question. How do you use challenge caches as motivation? You want to take a stab at that first? <laughs> I, it's that stat thing. I love stats. You know, I read, I, so I'm on vacation right now in my vacation studio and I looked ahead like I said I do and it's I found a cache called the cities of Davis County so having my I'm visiting my parents they live here I found other towns in this county before but I made a list and I knew what on this visit I need to find a cache in each of these other towns um so yeah it's absolutely my motivation not only did I go looking for the regular caches I wanted to find, it gave me a really specific purpose on this trip for my free time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, what, what I find is that um, the challenge caches get you searching for caches that you may not have otherwise opted to go searching exactly. for. I would not have gone to these other areas um, that I'm visiting right now, but I did, mm -hmm. and I found great caches. And mm -hmm. one of them was a twofer. It was helped me meet the challenge and it was hidden in June. So that kept my Jasmine up to date. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Cause uh, especially if there's like a local challenge and you want to get it off the map, <laughs> it's going to be sitting there until you qualify. So it's like, yeah. if you see yeah. that you can, you can plan trips around finding qualifying caches and then go on a fun adventure. It might be a place that you've never been before just to qualify for the challenge. Yeah. I um, think it's, many trips just to qualify for challenges mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and even right now my this weekend i'm going on a long a longer excursion for one particular cache but along that route i'm looking for qualifiers to stop and find for other challenge caches that i'm working on <laughs> yeah. yes so that is i think that's a yes on motivation <laughs> definitely motivation um Question number two, are challenge cache areas destination trips? So I was, I was trying to think of what a, a challenge cache area could be defined as. And I guess you could say one of them could be, say, uh, in Ontario, we've got challenge cache power trails. So it, that area would be a location that has tons of challenge caches. And, you know, it, I, I think that's... Um, that does become a destination trip in a sense because you want to get those caches found. Even if you don't necessarily qualify, 
you can save the power trail. You can take that long hike or bike ride, find all those caches, add them to a bookmark list or make a note of them however you wish. And uh, then when you get home, check to see which ones you qualify for. And you ne don't necessarily ever have to go back to that location again. <laughs> you kind of get it off the map uh, and then work on qualifying for them. And it, it adds goals now to your active geocaching um, uh, activities. So I would say, yeah, challenge cache areas can certainly become destination uh, trips, like making trips surrounding those challenge caches. Right. And I like those areas that have a large concentration, a challenge row, a challenge road, whatever they call it. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, a, it's a fun destination. Yeah. And actually, there is another, another example of one, just one particular challenge cache I found this past weekend where it is literally both at the same time. It is a destination and uh, the qualification. You this this one was published pre moratorium, so the guidelines were looser. But you could only find that cache on the seventh day of a consecutive streak. So you had to find a cache for the previous six days and then find that challenge cache on the seventh day in order to qualify and log it found. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it was, a bit of time. Yeah, you, you have to know, okay, I'm going there uh, on this day. Now I have to find caches every day leading up to that day. Yeah. But that becomes your destination and qualification all in one. <laughs> Would not be publishable today as far as I know because it's a, a streaking thing, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to check on that one. Hmm. Um, a number okay, of so, yep. are definitely saying that they, they plan their – um, plan trips around mm -hmm. challenge caches. Yeah, yeah, especially for things like the old ones. If you're doing a challenge for uh, for old geocaches, then you're going to be uh, setting trips to go find these extremely rare geocaches. So uh, challenge caches will provide uh, motivation for destination trips. Like you can, you some people will go on vacation and find caches while they're, while they're on vacation. Some people will create vacations around finding specific geocaches. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what I did for a while. I did a several uh, Jasmine trips. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, a couple more points. We want to also have some fun with this podcast. Uh, with every show, we are going to have opportunities to play some games and win some prizes. And first one is going to be called the Wheel of Challenges. We don't have it running just yet, but to start for this one, each each month, uh, a live viewer, so somebody in chat, uh, either on YouTube or Facebook, will be selected to face off against this Wheel of Challenges. Um, there'll be a chance to win uh, a grand prize, which has yet to be determined. Uh, but <clears throat> to enter, we will be uh, starting off. Uh, so it'll be a live thing for viewers who are watching that current show uh, to send an email in uh, following a certain instruction. And the first person, first email to be received will have their geocaching profile. So the geocaching name tested against um, a one of the challenges on this wheel. So the first person will be chosen to spin the wheel and then whatever challenge it comes to will test the profile. And if you qualify for it, then you win. I, I think it. it'd be kind of a it. cool little cool little game to get people motivated to kind of do an all around 
qualification, right? Get out there and, and try something. Won't make crazy difficult stuff, but there might be some really easy ones and there might be some hard ones just to have a little bit of variety. <laughs> so watch for that on the next episode uh, next month. There will also be monthly challengers. So to highlight uh, people in the community who are completing challenges and completing goals, uh, throughout the month, you can send an email again to challengetalkpodcast at gmail.com and share the uh, the GC code of a challenge cache that you have found uh, and qualified for that month. Uh, and you could optionally send a photo if with that email if you want, and we'll highlight a bunch of them in the next show. So shout outs for people who have actually qualified, moved towards qualifying uh, challenge caches for that month. Um, and uh, yeah, so that'll be anybody who sends the email between shows. So from now until next show, anytime you challenge, qualify for a challenge cache, shoot off an email with the GC code that has your log and you'll be entered to be Shout it out in the next episode and potentially drawn to uh, win another prize. And it'll be curious to see what kind of challenges you're completing. Uh, what's what's popular in your area or something you've been working really hard on for a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it'll hopefully get people to uh, start. See, the other nice thing about this is that you don't have to have these physical Okay, well, this particular one, <laughs> you do have to have these physical challenges near you so that you can log them as found. The Wheel of Challenges, for example, is one where you don't have to be near the, phys- the physical geocache challenges. We'll have um, the, just the statistical qualification. But the monthly challengers, if you've got them near you, then find them, send in your proof to the email address, and we'll give you a shout out. Um, <clears throat> and for kind of a, a personal uh, fun for this one, remember the Iron Man challenge or the Iron Bingo challenge uh, cash that I uh, mentioned earlier of mine, the GC3D5EB. Um, there, when I published that one, that particular challenge cash, I said that anybody who completed the entire grid would be uh, qualified to win the GeoCoin that I'm going to mint for that challenge. So. I'm extending that to you, to the community, to all of the viewers. If you can qualify by filling the grid of the Iron Bingo Challenge cash, then I will add you to the list of winners who will receive the GeoCoin once I get around to minting it. And this is something else. This is one impressive challenge. I want to know who's finishing this challenge. (laughs) It's not an easy one to finish. Check it out. As a quick outline, uh, one of the first people to finish the challenge, um, one of the so not the not the FTF, but one of the first people to uh, to complete the uh, the challenge itself, they took all of the squares, put them into Excel, and found all of the qualifying caches to find, and tried to minimize the amount of time and effort to qualify for the challenge as fast as possible. That center grid is. Um, a 100-day consecutive geocaching streak, they were able to complete the entire grid in 100 days wow. by finding all of the necessary caches and, and overlapping. So some of these properties can be overlapped. So they'd have these columns with all the different properties and they'd 
it was, it was, it was just crazy seeing how they did this. <laughs> it was a whole lot of driving, a whole lot of effort, but they absolutely loved the adventure and the challenge. Awesome. So it can be done. It just takes a lot of work and it might take some time. But that is the third challenge to you, the community. See if you can finish that grid. I don't think I even qualify for it yet. But this was published before you had to qualify for your own challenge. <laughs> so that is all we have on the docket. Is there anything else you want to add for this first episode? I'm just excited to talk about this. The game, like Jesse says, the game within the game. Um, I want to hear what's what's happening around the world in challenges. Uh, we we do have our new regulations, somewhat limited, but yet everyone finds a way to pull out creativity within um, guidelines. So I'm I'm excited to hear what's happening. Yeah. For sure, yeah. A lot of the traveling uh, that we want to do, especially to qualify for some of these challenges, is extremely limiting. But that's the nice thing about having this wide variety of, of challenges out there. You can find ones that you can work on just in your own area. And there are easy challenges and there are hard challenges. Pick some easy ones. And, and what I like to think of is um, you can look at a challenge cache that's far away that you may never find but still work on qualifying for that challenge because you never know if you might come across a challenge with the same requirements. Mm -hmm. And if you've already qualified, you can just log it found. because yeah. you've already qualified. Yeah. So the more that you could say, the more that you work on qualifying for challenges in general, statistically, the more chance you'll just be able to log caches found without having to worry about them later. Yeah, that happened to me. One of the towns I was in for the one challenge I was completing, I stumbled on a challenge cache. Quick glance, I had all the qualifications. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, especially in these big clumps of series of challenge caches. Anyway, that is about all then that we have for this episode. Um, thank you, everybody who has been in chat. I haven't been following too much because I've been talking a whole lot this one. It was a whole lot of history of challenge caches to it's go over. History, but it's, you know, it gives us where we come from and shows us where we're going. Yeah, and there and there was a whole lot of uh, detail and nitty gritty that uh, we hadn't covered about why some of these changes were made. Um, but if you dig enough, you can find all that information yourself. If you were really want to get into the controversies, but um, we are where we're at now, and love it or hate it, challenge caches I think are here to stay, and I love them. <laughs> I love them. That's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So. Thank you, everybody, for uh, coming to the chat and participating. Uh, we appreciate your uh, patronage. <laughs> you're, you're, you're here with us as a community, and that is awesome. So, again, send your emails to challenge talk podcast at gmail.com and uh, pay attention for updates and news about upcoming shows. The next one will be August 6th of 2020. And we will see what that subject will be. There's so much to talk about. Even if it's just like specific challenges and ideas, anything from that to information about how to create challenges, that's all on the docket. So yep. it's going to be exciting. And we'll see how much fun we can have with this. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thank you for being here. And let's get this 
outro. Thanks to Derek Baker of Behind the Cash for creating this video. It's awesome. Have a good one. Happy caching and excellent adventuring.